Well, howdy y'all. Welcome cowboys and cowgirls to episode number 30 of Once Upon a Time in Texas. I'm your host, Michael Mitchell. So Texas is a huge state with a big personality, fascinating history, and really a plethora of cultures um, mixing into a culture all its own. And what I mean by, by that is there's just a ton of different cultures out there and they all kind of mold into what is Texas today. And so, um, you know, we're just, we're as proud as we are to be Texan, we are equally as proud to be Americans. And this was true during many different stages, but, uh, but really during World War II, Texas kind of stepped up. So we know that America gave a lot during World War II and it was a defining part of history for not one, but many generations. And it still affects a lot of things today. So the world has been shaped by wars over the history of the earth, but most recently it was World War II. So why are we talking about World War II on a Texas podcast? And I would say, you know what? That is a great question. Texas had a huge effect on the war effort, and I want to talk a little about that today. So this podcast came thanks to my son, Raylan. Hi. Yep, Raylan's here with me today. Raylan, how old are you now? Eleven. Eleven years old. And so, what what has happened recently? What what did you just go to? Your first ever. My first day in sixth grade. That's right. Sixth grade, finally made it into middle school. He's getting big. But uh, the fun thing is he kind of fancies himself a little bit of a history buff, don't you? Yeah. And uh, what part of history do you like the most? World War II. That's right, World War II. So he said a while back that he wanted to be on my podcast again. And I got a lot of feedback from y'all that said it was kind of cool getting him on here. And so wanted to have him on again today. And so, uh, yeah, he's here with me now. So he will jump in and, and maybe we'll talk a little more uh, here in just a minute. But uh, before we jump into the war effort, I want to thank our sponsors, of course, me and American Mortgage Company. I know there are lots of people moving to and in Texas, and I know a lot of y'all do too. So let me help them out. I am an independent mortgage loan originator working with American Mortgage Company. We help people finance their dream homes right here in the great state of Texas. So, you know, and you guys know by me being an independent, I'm not tied to any one bank or anything like that. Um, I work for you. If you guys don't close the loan, I don't get paid. So my interest is definitely in y'all and uh, I wanna make sure that we have a good time with that, make it faster, cheaper, and easier. And so, you know, work with someone like me who's at least a little entertaining and works hard to make that process easier. So if you know someone, again, moving to or in Texas, send them over my way. You can find me at themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. And uh, remember, when you work with me, I sell dreams not mortgages. Doesn't that sound nice? Yeah. Yeah. Because do you want a mortgage? Not right now. <laughs> 
All right, so today we're diving into an intriguing and often overlooked aspect of World War II, the role Texas played. So Raylan, are you ready to unearth some fascinating stories about the Lone Star State's involvement in the Second World War? Yes. Awesome. You are just, you're killing it tonight, man. Absolutely killing it. All right. So before we dive into Texas's contributions, let's set the stage. You ready? So close your eyes. Imagine Texas. It's the early 1940s. World War II is in full swing. And the United States finds itself at the center of this global conflict. Even though Texas was, you know, quite a spell away from the European and Pacific theaters, it really did emerge as a key strategic location for various military activities. Many Texans contributed to the war effort by enlisting in the armed forces, serving in multiple branches, including the Army, the Navy, Air Force, and Marines. But wait, I wrote the Air Force there. Was the Air Force really the Air Force during World War II? Nope, it was Army Aviation. The Air Force was made in like 1974. No, it wasn't. <laughs> I don't. It I wasn't really that don't late. Know. Okay, all right, all right. So it was called the Army Air Corps. Yeah, Army Air and Corps. And I forget exactly when the Air Force started. My apologies to anybody in the Air Force listening to this. I'm sorry. But it wasn't the 1970s, son. I think it was like 1947, 48, somewhere in there. I don't remember. Yeah, I think it was 1947. So anyway, additionally, Texas became home to numerous training camps, munitions factories, and military hospitals. So, one of the most significant military sites in Texas, have you ever heard of Camp Bowie? No. No? So it was Camp Bowie, and it was nowhere near Bowie, Texas. It was located near Brownwood. Um, kind of uh, kind of Abilene area yeah Abilene area sorry I always get Brownwood and Brownsville um, confused so kind of Abilene area and it served as an interesting an interesting infantry training camp preparing soldiers for combat overseas so Camp Bowie was a bustling center of activity during the war uh, it encompassed a vast training grounds obstacle courses rifle ranges and various other facilities to really work with these soldiers. It covered a total, you ready? Yes. 123,000 acres. Whoa. That is huge, right? The, Cal the fire, the wildfires in California burn more than that. Yes, you're correct. You are so random, son. All I'm right, so 123,000 acres, and at its height, it had 213 mess halls or dining halls, 224 bathhouses. So the men enjoyed sports and entertainment at 22 different recreation centers. There was one post exchange that had 27 branches. So kind of like grocery stores. Uh, post exchange is a PX, that's what they call it, uh, or a BX on the Air Force Base Exchange. They had three libraries, an 18-hole golf course, a vet clinic, three dental clinics, and two Red Cross buildings. When the entire place was completed, the hospital could take care of over 2,000 patients. They also had 14 chapels across the entire camp, um, which the steeples, of course, they said kind of, you know, reached up towards the sky and broke up the monotony of the other stuff. 
And uh, the training there really played a crucial role in preparing troops for the difficult conditions they would face over on the battlefield in Europe and the Pacific. So this is the cool part. The original plan was a temporary training camp for the 36th Texas National Guard Division. When war was declared, the plans changed. Many of the men stationed at Camp Bowie were from Brown and then adjacent counties, arriving in mid-December and departing for Camp Blanding in Florida on February 15, 1942. Soldiers of the Texas Division splashed ashore on the beaches of Salerno on September 9, 1943 to become the first Allied soldiers to crack Hitler's Europe fortress from the west. That's kind of cool, huh? So, according to Camp, the Camp Bowie Blade, which was their newspaper printed on September 14, 1946, the division, this Texas division, suffered 27,343 casualties, including 3,974 killed, 19,052 wounded, and 4,317 missing in action. So, the official figures from the military are 19,466 casualties, including 37, uh, 3,717 killed in action, 12,685 wounded, and 3,064 3, missing in action. That's a lot of people that were either killed, wounded, or MIA. Isn't that crazy? So finally, in December 1945, the 36th came home as a unit to be discharged. The division was demobilized on Christmas Day, apparently in 1945. Overall, there were eight divisions trained at Camp Bowie, and many other battalions, regiments, and companies came for a short time to use the training grounds. Uh, medical companies, uh, military police companies, and others were here to learn how to survive during the war. And then during the war days, I thought this was interesting, a daily average of 30,000 men were on the camp. 30,000 people. That's crazy. So they were there for training on an average daily basis. And at one time, the total population was 60,000 men all on that camp. Isn't that crazy? So it's incredible, you know, in my mind and I hope you agree, to think about just this immense effort that it took to prepare these young soldiers for these challenges ahead. Um, so yeah, that's kind of a big deal. And it was only set up temporarily. They ended up closing it down and uh, it went back, I guess, to the original landowners, I think is what I saw. So, but it wasn't the only significant installation. So there's another big one. You wanna hear about another big one? Yes. So it's not as big as Camp Bowie, but it's got some really cool facts. You ready? Mm -hmm. So another real vital facility here in Texas emerged during World War II was called the Lone Star Army Ammunition Plant. It was situated near Texarkana, Texas, so far northeast Texas. And you, ready? you want to guess how many rounds of ammunition without looking at my notes? I've already seen it. How many was it? Like 11,000. No. Oh, 11 billion? Oh my gosh. Yeah, 11 billion rounds of ammunition, which included bullets, shells, and bombs, 
um, you know, ensuring that our troops always had the resources they needed to fight the war. So the Lone Star Defense Corporation was a subsidiary of the B.F. Goodrich Rubber Company, which B.F. Goodrich still makes tires today. So they won that contract on July 23rd, 1941 to produce the artillery shells, bombs, fuses, boosters, and other auxiliary munitions um, at that site. The plant produced ammunition through World War II, the Korean War, and then Vietnam. Oh, so they made napalm. They made all kinds of stuff. So the Lone Star Army Ammunition Plant was a huge operation. At its peak, it employed over 10,000 people. So a significant number were women. Because, you know, back in World War II, before World War II, a lot of women didn't, didn't work outside of the home. So they played an essential role in keeping the ammunition production at a steady pace. And, uh, yeah, Texas just mobilized its workforce, made sure that our troops had enough firepower. They, you know, Texas really embraced that opportunity to contribute both its human resources and its industrial resources to support the war effort. Is there anything about oil in there? No. Oh. So, but you want to talk about a cool Texan who did serve? Yeah. All right. Here we go. So we've talked about Camp Bowie, so a facility. We talked about the Lone Star Munitions Plant, or Ammunition Plant. It's kind of cool, right? So World War II saw like countless heroic actions by Texans overseas, right? And one such guy is a guy by the name of Audie Murphy, who was born in Kingston, Texas. So Audie Murphy, you probably wouldn't know this, but Audie Murphy ended up being a, a famous singer and actor and all that. But before that, he was actually a very, very distinguished and decorated American soldier. So at only 19 years old, some sources say, some sources say he was a little younger, he became one of the most decorated American soldiers during the war, receiving numerous medals, which I'll get to, but a couple of the ones are Medal of Honor, Distinguished Service Cross, and a few more. So Audie Murphy has had always wanted to be a soldier. I had to look this up, kind of dig around a little bit about him, and there's some cool stuff online. So after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor in December 1941, he tried to enlist. But the Army, Navy, and Marine Corps all turned him down for being underweight and underage. So his sister provided him an affidavit that falsified his birth date by one year, essentially making him older. She lied. But he got in. He was accepted by the Army on June 30th, 1942. After basic training at Camp Walters, he was sent to Fort Meade for advanced infantry training. Uh, during basic training, he earned the Marksman Badge with the Rifle Competent Bar and Expert Badge with Bayonet and Competent Bar, which is kind of a big deal. So throughout his wartime experience, the United States ended up honoring Audie Murphy, who later ended up becoming this famous uh, musician and actor and all that. They honored him for his uh, war contributions with the American Campaign Medal, the European African Middle Eastern Campaign Medal with Arrowhead device, and nine campaign stars, the World War II Victory Medal, and the Army of Occupation Medal with Germany, uh, with Germany clasp. France 
recognized his service with the French Legion of Honor, grade of Chevalier, the French Croix de Grau with Silver Star, the French Croix de Grau with Palm, the French Liberation Medal, and the French Forger in Colors of the Croix de Grau, which was authorized for all members of the 3rd Infantry Division who fought in France during World War II. Belgium awarded Murphy with the Belgian Croix de Grau in 1940. I'm sorry, with the 1940 Palm. That guy got a ton of medals. Yeah. Is that awesome or what? So, anyway, Brigadier General Ralph B. Lovett and Lieutenant Colonel Hollett D. Edson actually recommended Audie Murphy for the Medal of Honor um, near Salzburg, Austria on June 2nd, 1945. Lieutenant General A.M. Patch presented Murphy with the Medal of Honor and the Legion of Merit for his actions in Holtzworth. Um, when asked after the war why he had seized the machine gun um, embankment and taken an entire company of German infantry as prisoners of war, he simply replied, they were killing my friends. I mean, I would do that too. Yeah, you sound really tough while we're here doing a podcast. But yeah, I get what you're saying. So anyway, he received the uh, U.S. Military Combat Award for Valor, um, available to the U.S. Army uh, for his World War II service. Uh, Murphy was one of several military personnel who received orders on June 8, 1945, to report to Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas, for temporary duty and reassignment. Um, so he didn't know what it was. So upon arrival on 13 June, um, he was one of four assigned to the Fort Sam Houston Army Ground and Services Redistribution Station. And he was sent home for 30 days of recuperation with permission to travel anywhere within the United States during that period. So while on leave, Murphy traveled around and people did parades and banquets in his honor. Um, he did speeches, and then he also received, after all this, the Good Conduct Medal for the military. He was discharged with the rank of First Lieutenant with a 50% disability classification in September of that year, and he was transferred to the Officer Reserve Corps. Audie Murphy's heroism is truly legendary. He not only served as the infantryman but also showcased like incredible bravery during the Battle of Holtzworth in France. Um, so, I mean, he's credited with single-handedly holding off an entire German infantry company. And he saved his own unit and inspired others to really kind of persevere, so that's cool. So, Audie Murphy is really just a testament to the bravery and resilience of Texans and Americans during World War II. So... I just think that's really cool. So, um, I, I found another little thing, Raylan. I figured you'd like this too. So, impacts of military presence in Texas. So, during the war, we had more than 1.5 million personnel, military personnel, come to Texas for training. Um, the war-related industry lured farmers small-town residents and others into developing urban centers. Uh, many workers were women, and many were other than Caucasian. I mean, it really brought in all, all races and creeds 
Texas quickly became more urban than rural with a net population growth of 33% during World War II, which basically just kind of made the Great Depression kind of fade into memory. The military's presence in Texas grew exponentially during World War II. There were 142 major military installations across the state. Some of them were here before, some of them were built kind of temporary during. Uh, and more than 750,000 Texans served in uniform during the war. Some rose to the highest levels of command, including Admiral Chester W. Nimitz, which he, they've got a big museum called the Nimitz Museum in Fredericksburg, Texas. We're going to go down there someday because it's pretty cool. And there's also an aircraft carrier class named after him. The, <coughs> yep. The, I just know it's the Nimitz class. Yep. You're right. Uh, General Dwight D. Eisenhower, uh, Colonel Oveta Culp Hobie. Uh, 33 Texans earned the Medal of Honor, including Audie Murphy, the Army's most decorated soldier, and Commander Samuel Dealey, the war's most highly decorated naval officer. Among the Medal of Honor holders were five of Latino descent. Tragically, more than 22,000 Texans gave their lives while in service during the war. That's crazy. 22,000 Texans died. And it may actually be more. That was only one source that I found. Wait, I think you're forgetting something. What am I forgetting? The person who that my elementary school is named after who got the Medal of Honor, whose I'm pretty sure hometown is here in Wichita Falls. You're right. So we did have uh, Thomas Fowler. And that's what Fowler Elementary is named after. That's there right. There we go. He now was. There you go. Thank you for reminding me that. And that's also cool because uh, your sister's Boy Scout troop, or Scouts BSA troop, is chartered by Thomas Fowler, Amer Thomas Fowler American Legion Post 169. Hmm. Good catch. I didn't catch that earlier. Good job, son. Well, folks. That kind of brings us to the end of today's episode. I know it's a little short. Raylan didn't get to say a whole lot, but you know what? You caught me on the Thomas Fowler thing, and that's pretty cool. We've actually been to his graveside on Memorial Day. Remember that? We went out and did that stuff? Yep. So that's just kind of a behind-the-scenes look at the Lone Star State's contributions to the war effort. And uh, I just thought a little bit of cool history. I mean, that's three pieces. Uh, you know, we've got Camp Bowie. Um, then we had the Lone Star Munitions Plant. Then, of course, Audie Murphy. And, uh, you know, and then we talked about a couple other famous, you know, Texans, uh, Admiral Nimitz, General Eisenhower, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. And, of course, Thomas Fowler. So, uh, anyway. So if I miss stuff and you guys think you need me to mention a little more, let me know. Give me a holler. Go find me at themichaelmitchell.com. <clears throat> let me know what I missed. I love history. Raylan does, too. Of course, I want to mention one more time our sponsors, and that's me and American Mortgage Company. If you want to live in the home state of some of these awesome, awesome Texans and the home state of Camp Bowie and the Lone Star Ammunition um, Depot, let me know. Give me a shout. Keep in mind, if you know someone moving to or in Texas, send them my way. 
at themichaelmitchell.com. That's T-H-E, michaelmitchell.com. Remember, we sell dreams, not mortgages. I love, love, love making people laugh and smile. And I really do love helping get, uh, helping people get into homes of their own. So thank you all for tuning in to Once Upon a Time in Texas. As always, remember, the stars at night are big and bright. Deep in the heart of Texas. You want to say this last part? Y'all have a great week. That's right. Thank you all for tuning in.